this, uh, this morning. And I'm thankful, God, for just the ways that you continue to meet us in this mess. And Lord, I'm, I'm just overjoyed that you're in control. I, I want to lift up my, my family, my church family. Uh, God, over the past six weeks, there have been quite a few people in our church family who've lost loved ones, who have uh, medical burdens, who have things on the horizon that are just really weighing them down. God, I pray by your spirit today, you would be the comforter that you promised to be. And Lord, I pray that your spirit would pour out over us as a church family an extension as well to those who are around us. Uh, maybe love them and love them well. God, I pray that your spirit would speak through me right now, Lord. For all of us, God, would you give us the ears to hear? Father, would you give us the eyes to see all that you want us to hear and see today? May we submit ourselves under your authority and say, Lord, we want to follow you and not ourselves. And all God's people said, amen, amen, amen. Well, today we continue our message series, Doctrine That Dances. And we are going to continue to dance, family. And what we mean by that is, as we understand more of God, we're going to see the ways that God puts us on the move. He wants us to grow, and he wants us to go. You with me on that? He wants us to grow in our faith, to sink our roots in him. And as we grow, God's like, all right, you got to extend yourself. you got to go and to tell people about me, to love people well. And we want to be those kind of people. And the book of Romans is perhaps ground zero when it comes to understanding God and his character. The whole Bible talks about it, but Romans does it in a way that's systematic, that, that's a structured, and it's a beautiful picture. But what's not so beautiful is the picture we're given as the book of Romans opens. It is a picture of me and you and our hearts. It's like God opens us up. He gets in there. And he says, hey, did you know that that's what it's like inside your heart? And as we see that picture, we're like, yeah, that's, that's pretty dark. It, it's pretty depraved. It, it's, it's, it's pretty down. And so what we see in these opening chapters is this need for God in our lives. And that's on purpose because there's no need for the cross if we don't have a sin problem. And so for us to truly appreciate God's love and justice at the cross, we've got to understand what put Jesus to the cross, and that was yours and my sin. And that's how the book of Romans opens up. And basically today, I want you to know this, that there is bad news, but that hope is on the way. Can you say hope is on the way wherever you're at? Hope is on the way. Our situation is dire, but say it. Hope is on the way. Our problem is overwhelming, but hope is on the way. We may feel lost, but hope is on the way. That's what we're going to see in the book of Romans, chapter 1, verses 24 to 32. We're going to see this picture of humanity, which is one of depravity, a depraved heart. I was thinking about this, and I've heard people say this, but it's so true. There is an eerie similarity between our sin nature and what we see going on in our world through the COVID-19 crisis right now. COVID-19 is a pandemic, which means it is a global problem. Sin is a global problem. COVID-19 is lethal. It, it, it can go undetected. It, it can go with someone who's asymptomatic. 
but nonetheless, it is still in their body. That's a scary reality, but that's just how sin is. Because sometimes we can walk through life, we think we're good when our sin to ourselves is going undetected, but truthfully, it is lethal. It's dangerous. And on top of that, sin, like this disease, is non-discriminatory. It doesn't care how old you are or how young you are. It doesn't care your ethnicity, your socioeconomic background. In the same way, sin is true of all of humanity from our birth. It is a dark picture. It is bad news, but hope is on the way. Let's open our Bibles to the book of Romans chapter 1. I'm going to read verses 24 to 32 to get our passage in front of us. And if you could do me this favor, would you stand wherever you're at? That's just as a way to acknowledge the authority of God's word, because always we need to know this. But especially in times like this, we need to recognize that we are not the authority, but God is. God's word says this. Therefore, referring to the previous passage, and we'll get into that in a moment. God gave them up in light of our refusal and our rejection of him in lust of their hearts to impurity, to dishonoring of their bodies among themselves because they exchanged, can you say exchanged? Exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the, uh, the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. Verse 26. For this reason... God gave them up to dishonorable passions for the women exchanged. Can you say exchanged? Exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. Verse 28. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit. Maliciousness. I mean, this is bad, family. He continues, they are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. This is bad news, but hope is on the way, church. You may be seated wherever you're at. This is undoubtedly an electric passage in our Western culture. What I want us to do is to navigate through what God is saying. This is God talking to us. We saw in verse 18 that God says his wrath is poured out over all humanity because we've suppressed the truth that he is God and we've rejected him. That is our plight apart from Jesus and there is no one that is that accepted from. We are therefore without excuse. Look at verse 20. It says that we are without excuse, the last two words. Chapter 2 verse 1 also says, therefore you have no excuse. No one, we all have Uh, We are all accountable. 
Now, I will say this, just for the side note, is in my belief that there are some who are born without mental capacity, have different illnesses and different um, uh, disabilities that prevent them from discerning and seeing God. And in which case, I don't think God holds them accountable because they are with excuse. And God in his sovereignty, I believe, has a plan that is different. Um, that is, of course, through Jesus, but they're not accountable in the ways that the others of us are. We who have the ability to perceive are accountable to what God has revealed to us. And what we've done, therefore, we've exchanged God's truth for a lie. Notice, notice in verse 23, and they exchanged. Verse 25, because they exchanged. And in verse 26, again, they exchanged. See, humanity has exchanged God for something altogether different. But then there is a result of this exchange, and God does this in verse 24. It says, God gave them up. You see that? Then again in verse 26, for this reason, God gave them up. And then in verse 28, since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, what? God gave them up. Now you need to understand, God has given us over to our desires. God gave them up, but notice, it's not saying that God gave up on them. We'll get to that. But God gave them over to their own desires. Let me put it this way. Last Saturday, a week ago on Saturday, uh, we as a family went out for a walk to a forest preserve. It was a beautiful day, and we enjoyed about two hours out in the forest preserve. Came back home, and I was hungry. I was so hungry, but I was being lazy. You know you've been there. So when you're hungry and lazy, you go for something that's quick and easy. And for me, there was this bag of pork rinds that we had picked up at Aldi. These pork rinds were a barbecue pork rinds. I opened those things up, and I went to town. I binged them pork rinds. They were in my beard my taste buds were shot. Like, true story. The MSG was so powerful, like, my tongue was numb. But guess what I was doing? Because the MSG was so powerful, I just, I'm popping in these pork grinds. At the end, as I have the bag upwards, you do this. Don't, don't pretend like you don't do this. And the crumbs were coming in my mouth. I put the bag down, and I was like, wow, I quickly regret that. That was a bad decision. Because now my mouth is numb. My stomach feels gross. I'm hungry, but I'm not. I ate, but I wasn't satisfied. And I was handed over to my appetite. See, what God is saying here is humanity has said, God, we don't want you. We don't want a gourmet meal in knowing you. We're choosing pork rinds to binge on these things. And in the moment, it tastes good. In the moment, it seems right. But ultimately, it leaves us unsatisfied and empty and feeling gross and actually under God's wrath. So what Paul is saying here, what God is saying here through Paul is that he has allowed us to pursue our own appetites as a form of his judgment upon us rejecting him. That's a difficult place. That's bad news. And in particular then, God giving us over to our own appetite has led us into three areas of brokenness that Paul lays out for us here. The first area is brokenness in our worship, a depravity, a, a, a turning us over to what we want in our worship. And we, we, what we want is actually not God. Paul says in verse 24, God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity 
to dishonoring of their bodies among themselves because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. What Paul is saying here is humanity, apart from Jesus, has a worship problem. We all will worship something. We were made to worship. It's part of our DNA. The problem, though, is when we've rejected God, our appetite doesn't want to worship God, but it chooses something else. What does Paul say that we as humans often choose? Well, he says here, the lust of their hearts he's given us over to, to the impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves. You see, in the Greco-Roman period, a common practice in worship was what they called cult prostitution. It was the fact that sexual activity was part of their religious activity. So much of what the Greco-Roman culture was doing was taking part in worship of their fake gods through sexual activity amongst themselves. That was the problem then. But notice, ultimately, what's behind that is a problem of self. Who was God at this moment? It really wasn't the deity in disguise, but it was the deity of themselves. They worshiped themselves, their own bodies, and to pursue their own passions. But, but family, this is what we do. This is how we are apart from Jesus Christ. We are stuck worshiping ourselves. And in Greco-Roman period, in our own day, it takes the form oftentimes of sexual passion. There is a close connection between idolatry and sexual promiscuity in our hearts. Romans 1, I'm sorry, 1 Corinthians 6, 13 says, The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. But notice that, the connection between sexual immorality and the Lord. You're going to worship one, either God or self. 1 Corinthians 6, 15 says, Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. Or 1 Corinthians 6, 18 says, Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but sexual immorality uh, is against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you? Paul goes on to say, therefore glorify God with your body. What we're seeing here is when we rejected God apart from Jesus, we are given over to our own personal appetite. But not all idolatry and worship of self is sexual. Some of our idols are quite edible if you know what I mean. Sometimes we go after the things that fulfill our stomachs quite literally. And in our own nation, we're feeling the pinch of that with us being unable to eat out and dine out. But really what we find is God is even exposing perhaps some of our own idols of food, idols of eating. Our idols are indeed quite edible. So Paul says in verse 25, this happens because we've exchanged the truth of God for a lie. Now, why do we go after lies? Why has there been an exchange? Well, it's important for us to understand that this has been the devil's plan from day one, literally. If you go to the Garden of Eden, and there in Genesis 3, Eve is out in the garden, and a serpent comes who is Satan disguised as a serpent, and he asks her a question. Did God actually say you should not eat of this fruit? 
And then when she responds, he says, you will not surely die. It's a lie. Satan from the beginning has lied. In fact, Jesus says in John 8, 44, he tells the Pharisees, his religious leaders who've rejected him, he says, you are of your father the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Satan does not swear to truth, swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. His desire is to lie, to deceive us. In our own flesh, we pursue the lie. I, I want us to understand something here. If you're a follower of Jesus today, that means that God has given you the eyes to no longer suppress God's truth. And he has freed you to no longer be a worshiper of self, but a worshiper of Almighty God. That is a gift. But church, let's not find ourselves slipping back to our BC, our before Christ kinds of ways. But in addition to that, let's not find ourselves becoming judgmental to those who are still stuck apart from Christ. Let our hearts break over them. You know, the wild thing is, Romans chapter 2, God addresses the self-righteous person. The person's like, man, I'm glad I'm not as bad as that person over there. God's like, no, you are. You just shield it differently. Let us not be those kind of people. But honestly, I think what, what God wants us to do here is to, one, be grateful for him saving us when we could do nothing to save ourselves. And then secondly, for our hearts to break and mourn and then pursue people who are lost and love them radically. Because what happens is those who are apart from Jesus, and you may be listening today saying, man, that's where I'm at. You're accountable. God is like, you're without excuse. You can never say, I didn't know. And God's like, no, you knew. And even as you hear God's truth today, God says, creation stands as a witness against you. It's like God is calling to trial. He's there. You're in the courts. God is the judge. And he's like, first witness, come to the witness stand. I'm going to call creation to the witness stand. And creation is going to be like, hey, God, I was every morning. The sun's like, I was raising up every morning. I was shining brightly. They knew I was there. They didn't know how I got there. I was saying, hey, how did I get here? Crying out that there must be a God. If I was a little bit closer, you'd burn. If I was a little bit further, you'd freeze. Come on now. And so the sun is there on the witness stand. Like, I was, I was shouting out at the top of my lungs, but they wouldn't worship. And God calls the next witness, humanity, the human body, saying, hey, look, I was made in his image. I was there. I'm complex. And I'm telling people, look at me and know that there must be a designer behind me. But instead, he started worshiping me, worshiping self. This is how we're accountable. This is how broken Our worship is. And church, this is the world we live in. And we need to be light in the middle of it. You know, I think I hear a lot of times us saying, I just want things to go back to normal. And and if you're like me, man, I I long for normalcy. But I want to make sure we understand what we mean and what we don't mean when we say that. Because normal in our American culture has been idolatry. Normal is worshiping our sports. Normal is eating our idols. Normal is the idol of busyness. Normal is an idol of wealth. Normal is an idol of self. Normal is life apart from Jesus. I don't want that kind of normal. And I don't think you do either. Church, let's pray that God pulls us out of this crisis to a better, not to a normal, to revival, not to what we've been doing before, to worship. 
But that means that we then need to be those who are compassionate towards those who are so lost. Because what we see here is bad news. But hope is on the way. Paul says not only do we have broken worship, but there's also broken sexuality that comes from suppressing God's truth. And our world finds itself in there. Paul says in verse 26, for this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. And he specifies what he has in mind. And in the clearest statement we see in the New Testament, God's saying dishonorable passions are homosexual relationships. God says, for their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passions for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves a due penalty for their error. Now, I know that even reading this passage, let alone being about to unpack it, is not a popular thing to do in in our Western culture. Like, I, I know that even just stating this will set off a bomb in many people's hearts. Maybe you're even reading or watching this right now, and you're like, Man, that, that makes me feel uncomfortable. And my prayer has been all week long that as I open this up, you would see God's heart. That you would see what God has to say. And that's why we submit ourselves under the God's word because God speaks and we are not the authority, but he is. In fact, in what Paul is saying here and what God is saying through Paul is basically that we should expect these words to be like a lightning rod. Because when the world has suppressed the truth, it's rejected God. And when it rejects God, it rejects his truth. And if it rejects its truth, it's not going to care for what God's word has to say. And what God's word is saying here is that part of God's wrath is to allow us to pursue our own appetites. We've seen that we pursue the appetite of self, which oftentimes looks in sexual ways. But here he's saying that we've also pursued the appetite of homosexual relationships, which is part of the human appetite apart from God. And this is not God's plan. In fact, the word says here that it is contrary to nature in verse 26. And our culture asks, well, who determines what's, quote, natural? And that's a great question. And because God is our God and he is our authority, we believe that God determines what's natural. In fact, we believe from God's word that God is both the the designer of human sexuality and the definer of human sexuality. And God has designed and defined human sexuality to be such that the sexual relationship is meant to be between a husband and a wife within the context of marriage. For a woman to pursue a relationship with a woman and a man to pursue a relationship with a man, God's word is saying is outside of God's definition and God's design. The same is true, actually, though, of a man and a woman pursuing a relationship sexually outside of marriage. That's against God's, uh, God's moral design. So, Human sexuality to be enjoyed in a sexual relationship is meant to be between a husband and a wife in the context of marriage because God is the author. In Genesis 2, verses 24 to 25, God says this, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. God's desire is that for there to be No shame in the sexual activity when it's done between a husband and a wife in the covenant of marriage. 
That's where the one flesh union comes. And that's where God blesses and honors that union. That's been the theme and the thread of God's word and the truth he proclaims, not just in Genesis, but throughout Scripture, all the way to Revelation. When Revelation 21, we, say, but at, we see it says this in Revelation 21.8. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is a second death. This is life apart from Jesus. And God's saying throughout his word, that when we deviate from his ways, we are inviting ourselves under his judgment because we're not living for him or loving him. Now, I know these are hard words, but in the same plan, in the same voice, I want us to understand the whole of Scripture because God doesn't expect imperfect people to be perfect. He wants us to see our imperfections so we need him because this is where the gospel comes in. Hope is on the way. I'm going to give you a, a, a taste of it right here. Because throughout the Bible, no matter what our rebellion might be, whether it be sexual relationship outside of marriage, homosexual relationship, lying, deceitfulness, arrogance, whatever it might be, God is saying, you need my forgiveness. But when it comes through faith and repentance and believing in Jesus' work on the cross to die for your sin, there is wholeness and there is forgiveness that's available so that there is no longer judgment. There is no longer condemnation to the one who turns to Jesus. But I also think that there is the obvious question I want, I want to speak to here. Because I know that there are brothers and sisters of mine who follow Jesus who are saying, man, but what does this mean for me when I'm battling with same-sex attraction? And I want you to know that God has a word for this also. And God's saying, hey, my call for you is to walk in holy sexuality. To love me more than anything. To follow Jesus as the ultimate satisfaction of your soul. And then to pursue a life of holiness. That has the truth for everyone who is battling with any kind of sin. And so you can be a follower of Jesus who is devoted to him and say, man, but, I, but I'm in this fight. And I'm struggling against my flesh, but I'm going to resist it because I want to follow Jesus. And that's what God calls for all of us to do no matter where we're at. Church family, I want us as a church to excel in compassion and kindness and love towards those who may be battling with any kind of sin, in particular with homosexual desires. That we would be the, the, the body of Christ to love and love deeply. I want you to also know if this is where you're at struggling, there's a place for you here at the brook. There's a place for you to work out in, in following Christ and saying, I need to learn how to navigate this. We want to walk with you as you pursue Jesus. See, God's word tells us that apart from him, we are broken. All of us. Every single one of us. And our brokenness looks different from one person to the next, but it's still brokenness. God has given us up to our appetite of worshiping of self. He's given us up to our appetite of broken sexuality apart from him, and he's also given us over to our broken minds when we want to live life apart from him. And that's what God's word says here in verse 28. God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. See, at the end of the day, what it comes down to is humanity saying, God, we don't want to live in submission to you. 
And what follows is this list of things like unrighteousness and evil and covetousness. I mean, this list, even as I read it, is painful. Because as I read it, I see things that are in my own heart. And I'm like, God, without you, I am so, so lost. But with you, I find forgiveness and hope. Paul says that they were filled with all manner of of unrighteousness in verse 29. Evil, covetousness. I mean, you with me on this? I, I battle with these things. Malice, they're full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness, gossip slanders, hating God, insolent, haughty, boastful. I I was looking at those three words, insolent, haughty, and boastful. They're almost synonyms to mean arrogance and pride. And I'm like, boy, like no stone unturned here. If you battle with pride, like this is what God is saying, like that's life apart from me. But ultimately in verse 32, though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, They not only do them, but to give approval to those who practice them. How is it that those who do these things deserve to die? That's a big statement. And how can we know this? Well, it begins here. As we saw last week, God has revealed himself in all of creation, and he's revealed himself in the preaching of the word. And we know that God is a perfect God, And he is a just God. And when we sin, we've then been separated from God and we deserve judgment. And what God is saying here is, and when we continue to choose to sin, we're basically doubling down on our rebellion, inviting his judgment. And to make things worse, we not only do it, God says, we give approval to those who do it. It's like we're egging people on toward rebellion. This is bad news. Our government may not punish all of our vices, but God will. We may not be sinning against the law of the land with gossip, but we have sinned against the law of the Lord with gossip. This is bad news. It's dire. It's overwhelming. But I've said from the very beginning, hope is on the way. You know, as I read this passage, I just felt the weight the weight of my own sin, the weight of where I would be apart from Jesus, the weight of the people around me who are walking under God's wrath. And I just my heart begins to ache at the thought of that, saying, Lord, we need you. I want us to know that hope is indeed on the way. Now, I use those words intentionally. Hope is on the way. Because when I think of Romans and the city of Rome, I think of a way. In fact, the Apian Way. The Apian Way was one of the Roman roads that were built in around 300 B.C. The Roman roads were a complex system that allowed people to travel throughout the empire. The Roman roads spanned 250,000 miles. There were some 29 great military roads and 372 great roads. The Apian Way, known to be the queen of the roads, it was almost 40 miles long, cobblestone brick. The Apian Way was a military way. And when we see the Apian Way and the Roman roads, we learn that the Romans took, uh, took exception to things getting in their way. So even if there was a hill on the path of the road they were building, they would 
build through the road or through the hill or over the hill or dig into the hill. They would not let the hill get in their way. If there was a river, they'd build a bridge. Basically, the Roman roads led to Rome. It was a way that they had built to make things easy, to make things go in the empire and for their military to go about, to prepare for war. When I think of this way, I think of God's way and God's road. You know, when I was a kid, I often heard of what was called the Romans road in the Bible. And the Romans road is not referring to the Apian way, but to God's pathway in the book of Romans. Like the Apian way, like the Roman roads, the Romans road from the book of Romans, God's plan of salvation is laid out here, will not let anything get in the way. There is no mountain that can get in God's way to save someone from their sin. There is no river that God wouldn't cross in his Roman road. God will let his battle, his military truths of the gospel get through to make war against our sin and Satan himself. We have an enemy who would want to make battle against God's people, but God's way, God's road will prevail. And so though humanity finds itself in broken worship, in broken sexuality, with broken minds, God's like, I've got a road, and it's here in the book of Romans, clear as day. Romans 3.23 says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's where we got to start in God's road. But we also see in the next verse and that everyone is also, through faith in Jesus, justified, which means we can be declared right before God. Romans 6.23 says, for, uh, says um, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. That's the Romans road. Or Romans 8.1 or Romans 8, that says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That is a Romans road. Or Romans 10.9 says that if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. This is the road that God has for us. And though situation is bad, hope is on the way. It's on the road. It's on the gospel that is preached in Romans and throughout the Bible. So no matter where you find yourself today, maybe you find yourself in rebellion, maybe you find yourself struggling with these kinds of sins, I want you to know that there is a way for forgiveness. And that path is through Jesus. He is the one mediator between God and man who will save us from our sins. Church, God gave them up, but God never gave up on them. You see, what God has done, he allowed us to pursue our appetites, but he didn't keep us there. He came down as the form of man, Jesus Christ, the righteous one, to live the life we couldn't live, to die the death that we deserved. And through him, we have hope. Maybe you're like me and you've been binging on pork rinds of self, of sexuality, of all kinds of things that are apart from God, broken. And those things haven't fulfilled you. I want you to know today that there is one who can fulfill your appetite, and his name is Jesus. Hope is on the way to Jesus, and in him we place our hope. Church family, I want us to be people who are radical in loving our neighbors, radical in being those who express the salvation that's found in Jesus. And our prayer is that when life gets back, it doesn't get back to normal, but gets back to better because the church was the church and we let God's word shine in and through us. Let's pray. 
Father in heaven, we want to just humble ourselves and say, God, we know you are the authority over our lives. God, we know that we, we are not the, the end all, be all of truth. But we submit ourselves under you and say, God, things don't always make sense. We don't always understand what's going on in our world, but you, God, are the center of hope. So we just lean on you. We submit to you. And God, I pray that you would revive our hearts for the brokenhearted that you'd bind it up, for the confused that you'd bring clarity, for the one who's despairing that you'd bring hope, God. Father, I pray that our church family would rally around one another no matter what kind of things we're battling and that we would likewise rally around our community with the good news of Jesus. I pray this in his name. Amen. Sing his praise all the time. Church, uh, before before we log off today, uh, I just want to continue to remind you about tomorrow's emotional health seminar. I want to encourage you to give to the COVID-19 Relief Fund. Um, But I also want to tell you about something that was done pretty cool this week. Our church family, um, and also with a thank you. So can I pray before before, um, we dismiss here? Um, I'll make sure I'm being heard here. Father, we thank you, Lord, for um, our church family. Thank you for the love they show to us. And um, you know how much love we have for them. And God, we just long to see more people come to know Christ and walk in his freedom to to battle through the ups and downs together. Uh, We face them, I face them. And uh, Lord, I thank you that we can use our gifts, whether it be a gift of technology, like Ethel's been doing, or gift of organization and structure, as Pastor Jeremy's done, and the gift of, of, of music and worship, as Joshua Sa and Estrella and others, uh, or the gift of, of, of teaching, the gift of encouragement. Um, Lord, and then the others who have not been serving on Sundays, but have been serving, like our real community leaders, um, our church family reaching out to others. Lord, I just thank you that we're a family, that we are the body of Christ. And I pray, God, that we will continue this faithful work so long as we are doing this and so long as we're alive. Uh, we long to get together again. Uh, but Lord, we, uh, we continue to persist in gathering however we can, even if it's digital, because we love you and we love one another. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I'll leave you this benediction. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. See you, church family, tomorrow's seminar. God bless you.